All right, Roxy, we're coming up on one of my least favorite holidays. The midterms. No, why did you remind me? I was thinking of Halloween. Halloween? Halloween is awesome. It's like trick-or-treating, fun costumes, great candy. What's not to like? I know, but that was all fun growing up. I just don't like the idea of kids getting scared. Well, maybe that has more to do with your upbringing. (laughs) Indeed. Frank Peretti, Mr. This Present Darkness, I would like a word with you, as would a lot of us. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two beautiful Christian women making our way in Boo, York City. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty, the undead queen of Christian publishing, and I will eat your brains. Wait, so, I mean, for real, why don't you like Halloween? Well, I think it's an age thing. We know too much about candy as adults. It's bad for us. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we're behind the days of, like, dressing up as a sexy nurse or a sexy Julia Child. like A sexy Julia Child. (laughs) I mean, that's redundant. But, you know, it feels like maybe we're too grown up for it now. I don't know. It's weird, though, because I feel like... I like Halloween more now as an adult. And I think it's because as a kid, maybe I did take it all too seriously. And now I can like laugh at it and have a little more fun with like, oh, vampires. You know, whereas a kid, I was like, oh, my gosh, demons, they're real. Right. Halloween was very loaded for us growing up. So what were some spooky things that happened to you as a kid, maybe especially as a kid growing up in the church? Well, they weren't really necessarily around Halloween. It just sort of seemed like Halloween was like the holiday that was celebrating the demonic things that we were warned about all year long, which is why I thought, ooh, that's bad and sinful. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned this present darkness definitely gave me a lot of scary ideas about what was happening in the spiritual realm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it was the movie The Thief in the Night that really, really got me. I wish we'd all been ready. Okay, Thief in the Night. Is this like Larry Norman Mm -hmm. gets raptured? It's like Larry (laughs) Norman songs. It's the 1970s. Lots of people get raptured, but then like this one woman and other people are left behind. This was the thing that really like as a kid was like, oh my gosh, the rapture is imminent. Mm -hmm. That song gets really stuck in your head also. And I just really was worried that everyone wasn't ready. Well, we hear from a lot of people who grew up in the church. Part of the experience was like walking into a room, expecting there to be people there and no one's there. And your first thought is like, it's so quiet. Where is everybody? Did they get raptured and I'm left behind? Yes. Which as a child... You think about, like, your parents disappearing. That is a really scary idea. It definitely is. And we were also, of course, because we were children growing up in the 80s and 90s, reading a lot of books and watching a lot of Disney movies about orphaned children. So that also (laughs) was scary. But we were going to be orphaned by the rapture, which was even scarier because then it meant that we'd been bad. Right. I could spend a whole episode, and I won't, so don't worry, but I could spend a whole episode talking about the things that I was afraid of as a child because they were a lot. Like, I had bad dreams from a very young age. 
I had trouble sleeping. I would sneak into my parents' bedroom saying like, I'm scared. I had a bad dream until maybe eight or nine years old. I was Mm. way too old. Thought that I saw ghosts, thought that I saw evil spirits, thought that I saw dolls come to life. As an adult, I know all of that was like probably related to anxiety. But as a child, it was all manifested in like a very overactive imagination. As a teenager, my parents had become born again Christians. Mm -hmm. And we were in very much of a WWJD phase in our home. And somewhere, my mom had gotten this free computer screensaver that was just the phrase, what would Jesus do, flashing across the screen. Mm -hmm. And one day, I was sitting in front of the computer, and all of a sudden, a laugh like, (laughs) started coming out of the computer. What? Obviously, at the time, thought this was a demon. Your computer was In our computer. Yeah. Looking back, it was probably a programmer (laughs) that was like, We just want to freak out these Christian kids. (laughs) But I just had, I had a lot of fears of evil spirits. Yeah. I was worried that a lot of things were possessed. Like, I remember missionaries coming back from foreign fields and talking about how, you know, different items that they would come across that were religious artifacts from other religions were possessed by Mm -hmm. demons and they had to like pray over them. I don't know, do like an exorcism essentially on this item that had been used in Mm -hmm. some kind of ritualistic sense in another religion. So I was very concerned about the possibility that items around me, like computers, were possessed by (laughs) evil spirits. So going back to Halloween, Mm -hmm. let's. Were you allowed to celebrate Halloween? Oh, yeah. I mean, as many of our listeners know, my mom was a kindergarten teacher and like kindergartners love Halloween. My mom loves Halloween. We definitely trick-or-treated. The fun of trick-or-treating in a small town is that you can hand out homemade treats because you know who everybody is. And so we knew all the houses to go to where we would get like caramel corn and blondies. We knew exactly who was giving out what and it was great. My parents made Rice Krispie treats. Wow. This must have been before all the panic about strangers putting, like, cyanide in your kid's candy or something. Well, that only happened in the big city. The big, scary, secular (laughs) city. Like New York. (laughs) I do have fond memories of trick-or-treating. One year, I went as a picnic. What? (laughs) Like, like draped. You draped a cloth. A red and white checkered cloth across my chest and glued plastic food and cups to it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was maybe the dorkiest. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like going as Ariel because, you know, red hair, little mermaid. But we had a massive snowstorm that year. It was my favorite costume I ever had. A woman down the street made it for me. And. I loved it. And then we had a massive snowstorm, like three feet of snow, and I had to go as an ice queen instead. It was a real bummer. (laughs) This was like pre-Elsa. Oh, yeah. There was. It was just my mom was like, "Uh, here, here's a white coat that's cute and a tiara. (laughs) You're now an ice queen. That's really cute. (laughs) I was so bummed. Did your church ever do an alternative celebration? Like... 
a fall festival or... My church didn't, but the Catholic church in the town seven miles away did. And I went once and it was very thrilling because Catholics seemed very strange. And, you know, particularly back in that time, like Baptists and Catholics didn't do a lot of mingling, you know. So I was like, whoa, I'm in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I remember bobbing for apples. Did you ever do like a hell house? Yes. So I remember our youth group going, our church wasn't hosting it. It was like a local Mm -hmm. outreach event with lots of churches involved. I honestly don't remember that much of it. I mean, the conceit was we were walking through a house seeing scenes of people suffering in hell. Eternal damnation. Some of the characters, you know they had done drugs or they had participated in some kind of satanic ritual without their knowledge or, I mean, just really dark. And I actually remember feeling like it was wrong at the time. Like Hmm. even as a 14 year old, I was like, this feels like it's the wrong way to preach the Mm -hmm. good news of Jesus. And it seems to kind of be reveling in a really dark image that I don't think we want people associating with the church. Speaking of satanic rituals, I was wondering when we were going to get to that. You know, this is one of our favorite topics, a real evergreen. Absolutely. Satanic rituals were a real concern in the 70s and 80s. Like people were really freaking out that behind every closed door in every basement, there was a possibility that like a satanic ritual was going on. Yeah, so this seems like it was before our time a little bit. I maybe vaguely remember hearing about this, but Satanic Panic, Mm -hmm. as it is called, was this fascination with the occult among not just Christians, but lots of Americans in the 70s and 80s. Basically, it was a conspiracy theory alleging that daycare centers were the sites of Satanic ritual abuse. And there were like tons of law enforcement investigations, lots of news media coverage. So really weird time. Tonight on Frontline, the search for Satan. ...of satanic ritual abuse involving group sex, black robes, animal, and even human sacrifice. Much of what you will hear tonight is just plain horrifying. Satanism, human sacrifice, sexual torture, and other stories bizarre and unfathomable. But the question sparking major debate in psychiatric circles is whether it's real. Yeah, satanic panic was really prompted by, well, all kinds of things. New kinds of music, movies like The Exorcist, and real-life serial killers like the Zodiac Killer Ted Bundy and Son of Sam. Yeah, there was a lot of cultural change, and it seemed like people were latching on to a very prominent story of fear to process what was happening Also a time when stranger danger was Mm -hmm. really taking off the sense that you couldn't really trust your neighbors. Evil was lurking in even like the suburbs. Obviously, a lot of horror movies are about serial killers coming to the suburbs to break into your home and Mm -hmm. kill you. So it was really tapping into this fear that like nowhere is really safe. It strikes me that satanic panic, that kind of conspiracy theory has not really gone away. Kind of even feels a little familiar right now. Like in what way? Because it doesn't seem like news media is as interested in (laughs) ritual child abuse as they were in the 80s. Well, the news media, maybe not, but I'm thinking like Q 
QAnon, which, you know, kind of had origins in Pizzagate when a man read online that Democratic leaders were like trafficking children out of a pizza parlor basement. They were not. The restaurant didn't even have a basement. But now we have QAnon, which is like this full-fledged conspiracy theory that top government leaders, Hollywood stars, are part of like the satanic cabal that are trafficking children for some kind of hormone? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to entangle because there are so many different, there are so many conspiracy theories connected to QAnon, but one prominent one is that Hollywood elite, these global politicians, they're involved in this child abduction network, apparently that they're harvesting the chemical compound adrenochrome from children and then subjecting them to satanic rituals. It is hard to take that seriously. Many of us, I'm sure, feel like, how could anyone actually really believe this? But millions of people really believe these theories. In part because theories like this, conspiracies, hold a sort of weight in their explanatory power. Like, these things in the world are happening that feel out of our control, that feel scary. And people are drawn to these stories that seem like they make sense of good and evil in this sort of cosmic Right. The world feels like it's easier to understand if we can divide the world into groups of people who are good and people who are evil. And, you know, maybe we could read Harry Potter to get that itch scratched. But but Harry Potter is real. Whereas Satanic Panic and QAnon, <laughs> you know, those are just made up stories, right? I mean, he who shall not be named. That's the real deal. But yeah, these... Things like Satanic Panic and QAnon not only say that there is real evil in the world, but it's like up to us to battle it. It calls people to Mm -hmm. take up arms and to fight the evildoers. And I guess that is really appealing for a lot of people that they can be involved in fighting evil with the forces of good. Absolutely. And they can get a sense that they know something that maybe other people don't know. They're sort of in on what's really happening. They can see things that the rest of us can't see. Today's guest knows a thing or two about cosmic battles between good and evil. (laughs) Tyler Huckabee is a comic book aficionado, a fellow Frank Peretti devotee, and senior editor at Relevant Magazine. For me, the Ouija board was this Indiana Jones type mythical lot where if you touched it, that could be the end. I don't think I knew anybody with one. But if I did, I probably would have gone and told my parents and like called the police. And then you see him in Target and you're like, well, that doesn't quite add up with what I've been told about it. But I remember that being a a huge part of that childhood fear. Our conversation with Tyler is coming up right after we give a warm shout out to the patrons who make all of this possible. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. If you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. We would love for you to review us. It goes a long way to helping get the word out about our show. You can email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We want to hear from you, and we will reply. Eventually. And if we don't reply, you can haunt us for all eternity, and maybe we'll even become friends. We'll be like our ghost friend. Except we don't believe in ghosts. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, emails do haunt me. (laughs) Yes. Unanswered emails. The scariest thing I can think of is my inbox. Exactly. 
But seriously, we do want you to email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. We are thrilled to be joined today by Relevant Senior Editor Tyler Huckabee, also known as Tyler Huckaboo. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> You're really good at that. Hi, Tyler. <laughs> hey, Tyler. Hi, everybody. Hi, Roxy. Hi, Caitlin. Well, we're excited to talk about all things spooky with you this week. <laughs> and I heard from a little birdie that you really go all in on Halloween costumes. I, yeah. It's one of your favorite things to do. So looking back, what would be... The Halloween costume that you are most proud of. We're starting right there. Like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm getting thrown into the deep end of the pit. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> let's let's just keep doing that. <laughs> um, there was the year when I went as my my then current now ex girlfriend, and that was a huge hit. She did not love it, but it was a big hit. Like generally speaking, wait, you went um, as your ex girlfriend. Yeah, well, she was she wasn't my ex at that time, but sure, sure, and that may have contributed to the, the mm. like the dissolution of the. I don't think it like helped, but it was a party hit, and that's what I was going for. And yeah, there was a year. Oh, this was good. I really wanted to do, um, like the Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Mm. Got the got the hair like black and kind of like you know how they he's it's just, like spiked up in the middle, like he has a. Like it's, but I don't know. I'm doing this yes. visually. You can't see it, but Tyler's lifting his hair up into spikes. Listeners, just... yeah, yeah. And I wrapped candlesticks in duct tape to be like claws, <laughs> which I thought worked pretty well. But then everybody thought I was Edward Scissorhands, so I just kind of <laughs> went with it. I just kind of at some point you just accept it. Like if this is what people think I am, maybe it's just better to let them think that I got a really good Edward Scissorhands costume together last minute. Mm-hmm. And then some, I forget what happened, but it was the only, the first and only time that I've ever been kicked out of an establishment because somebody was making so much fun of my costume that I got <laughs> mad and we got into a fight. It was like a <laughs> Halloween brawl. He was dressed Whoa. as a clown, so Wolverine <laughs> and or Versus Edward Scissorhands, I guess, and a clown are out or like in Lincoln, Nebraska, fight. where it kicked back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was it's the the candlesticks aren't like that useful in a in a, like a fighting context. It, they mostly just got in the way. So those are two. Those I've been saying mm. those are two best. They both are were pretty disastrous now, given the benefit of hindsight, which is why I've toned down my Halloween costuming a little mm. bit, mm-hmm. with the, given the benefit of just age and experience. Now, growing up, yeah, was Halloween a big thing? Were you allowed to celebrate mm. Halloween? trick-or-treat well probably like in the christian halloween context like Mm -hmm. the celebration was sort of neutered into something much more acceptable and spooky stuff spooky stuff was not a Mm -hmm. part of that at all but my church would do a big Mm -hmm. 
they would you'd go to the church and they had turned all the rooms into Bible stories. Oh, so you like we walk through and see displays of different Bible stories like happening. And, and I don't, I don't totally remember how it all worked. In my mind, it, they weren't animatronic figures, but they were kind of just doing the same thing over and over. Like, like youth group volunteers were yes, like. There was definitely that. We didn't have any church like appropriation of Halloween, like fall festival or anything like that. But I know that my yeah. parents definitely didn't let us dress up as anything scary. I think the scariest yeah. I was allowed to get was like a black cat, <laughs> mm. <laughs> like an, an ominous creature, you know, but obviously nothing like slasher or bloody or anything involving death, which not a bad call probably for young children, you know. There was definitely, at least in my hometown, not necessarily my family, but in my hometown, a a kind of a fear of like those types of things, including Halloween, scary movies, certain kinds of costumes could like invite the demonic in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, you For had sure. that too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. It was a, I think... I think in the home I grew up in, there was there was like acceptable scary stuff if it reinforced a Christian worldview. So that's where mm. you get into like the Frank Peretti stuff. And let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about these books. Yeah, this present mm-hmm. darkness, okay. Frank Peretti. Just mm-hmm. how much of an impact did those books have on you, Tyler? Pretty big. Yeah, and I think a lot of people took the elements of horror that he borrowed from popular genre fiction and made that like a very real part of their theology. And I don't know that that's what Frank Peretti intended when he wrote that. And I think he, to his credit, tried to tap the brakes on it a little bit, maybe in some later publications of it. But when you're nine and you're reading that, that is not Mm -hmm. all you're doing is reading about angels and demons. And you've always heard those are real. And this is your first, Mm -hmm. this is your dive into the deep end of how they operate in Mm -hmm. the world. So I remember being scared of it, but I also remember being very excited by it because mm. church is really boring when you're a little kid and then you're <laughs> reading this and there's, they're like having fights with like swords and it's really, it, it added an element of like danger and thrill to the real world, which I think is a big, was a big part of the appeal of those books too. I mean, I definitely took them too literally and even knowing they were fiction, I was like, no, but this is really how it is. And I, I definitely yeah. spent, some years after that, like really praying away a lot of demons and thinking they were everywhere and Uh in all kinds of people, which is not a great way to live as a child. But for you guys, was the Ouija board considered, like for me, the Ouija board was this Indiana Jones type mythical lot where if you touched it, that could be the end. That could really do it. Like, I, I don't think I knew anybody with one, Mm-mm. but if I did, I probably would have gone and like, I would have told my parents and I don't know what they like called the police. I, I it was like, a very, that, <laughs> call the for police. whatever reason, <laughs> for, for whatever reason that in my mind became a symbol of mm-hmm. like spiritual darkness. And then you see him in target and you're like, well, that doesn't quite add up with what I've been told about it. But it was, but I remember that being oh, a, yeah. a huge part of that. They were imbued with like fear. a real sense of darkness demonic activity i mean it was like it was almost as much of a guarantee as like saying what was the the mary into the mirror bloody Bloody mary Mary. yeah it was like almost as much of a guarantee in 
my head is like, you know, like what would yeah. happen if you said Bloody Mary into the mirror three times in a fictional universe was absolutely what would happen in real life if you touched the Ouija board. <laughs> like you would be inviting the demonic with no, like no way to turn back. And I still don't know, because I don't think that my parents believed that or even necessarily wanted me to believe that. Mm -hmm. Um and, uh, and and I think they actually like probably tried to push back against that a little bit. And mm. but I know there are also adults who've like had a, there was a lot of money in that industry at the time and mm. there was a lot of value I think for some spiritual leaders when I was a kid in reinforcing that idea because that's a great way to keep kids in line. Like mm -hmm. if you get out of line, you will be possessed by the devil <laughs> and, or like dragged to hell. Like they're like cracking the floorboards of your bedroom. Like those are the sorts of images that you're seeing mm -hmm. when you're reading these. Mm -hmm. And I think the pushback on that was fairly minimal from like my pastor authority figures when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how many of them actually believe that. It's interesting to think about the motivator that fear can be. I mean, Roxy and I grew up hearing about the rapture and, you know, Jesus would appear like a thief in the night and you didn't want to be left behind. There was almost, there was actually like a book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Left Behind. It's on the shelf. <laughs> and like, I remember going to a hell house mm -hmm. in high school. You like saw people in hell and what their lives would be like in hell. Those were really powerful experiences like that, the role that fear played, because I think the underlying message was, if you are a good Christian, if you stick with Jesus, like you will avoid terrible things happening to you. So yeah. looking back, what, what role did fear play for you in your own faith formation, like for good or ill? I yeah, I think fear was was a pretty enormous part of the reality of hell was felt very very near when mm -hmm. I was a kid and I think I think a lot of people have this experience who grow up like this you even after you you pray the prayer or whatever it's still that fear isn't gone yet you're still mm -hmm. like what if what a, you know you you can't find your mom or dad for 20 seconds and you're like it happened and i was <laughs> i was not ready for it i was i did something wrong i i like prayed the prayer out of order i said the magic spell wrong and now i'm not mm -hmm. i don't get a go and i remember for a bit there just at the end of every day almost praying another prayer of salvation just in case I messed up or, or, or just trying, you know, it was just fire insurance, just making sure I'm good for in case in the night he comes and, and, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm the last one there. So that was big, but I liked the idea of angels and demons fighting in the world around me. That, mm -hmm. that was really, again, that was just like, that was sounded very adventurous and very mm. exciting. And it was a real way for me to find being a Christian kind of interesting mm -hmm. because that sounded like a more interesting world to live in than because everything else when you're, when you're a kid about Christianity is pretty much stuff you can't do and hell and you got to be quiet on Sunday mornings and you had to dress up in your little tie and shirt. And I didn't like any of that, but I did like the idea. I think cause it sounded like comic books mm -hmm. and it sounded like a, the Frank Freddie thing depicts the battle between good and evil as pretty much a, a pretty even match. Like they're going at it. Mm. You don't know. There's a lot of tension mm -hmm. in it. You don't know who's going to like, yeah, God's kind of going to win maybe in the final analysis, but every battle is really a coin flip. So it sounded very 
fun to me. Um, but that bled in then to real world. Uh, the real world result of that was being pretty scared. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this felt like exciting and that there were real stakes. Like, and I can participate yeah. in this unfolding drama. Well, I kind of compare it to when you hear about how people fall into conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. It's that idea of like a secret knowledge that mm-hmm. you understand something about the world that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. That feels very true to my experience of what that sort of very literal spiritual warfare, that understanding of spiritual warfare was like. But it becomes, le- for me, it became less about the spiritual world and more about the culture wars. Or lots of Christians at the end of the day really thought all along that like the re- like actually the real spiritual battle is the culture wars right like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. like mm-hmm. instead of literal demons we're dealing with like demonic democratic leaders or <laughs> like it's like the draw to a story about a cosmic battle between good and evil just becomes overlaid on the culture wars like satan is on the side of those other people Right. right. <laughs> the liberal establishment, the media, the wokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think there is that sense of fear being at the root of this. But also, as we've talked about, like, I think we all long to be part of something that feels cosmic and high stakes. But so much of what our day to day faith, what Jesus's teachings boil down to are kind of boring are kind of like on a very, yeah, like personal mundane, like level how are you treating your neighbor how are you treating like the poor around you um and it it doesn't feel cosmic in that way or as maybe mm-hmm. as exciting mm-hmm. and i think especially when you're a kid i recently i just kind of i was just kind of i don't know i was mining for engagement on social media and i asked people for their craziest uh christian summer camp story um, and I got hundreds of them mm. and uh, they were all very, very interesting. But a theme that cropped up over and over again was something bad happened. And the youth pastor said, this demons are attacked, trying to keep us from, mm-hmm. you know, and it could be a sound checked issue. It, it could be, you know, like the, 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 the blob got a leak in it. So we can't jump <laughs> off the high dive. And that would be an occasion <laughs> to gather everybody around and pray for God's protection over this camp so that Satan doesn't you know, attack and try to ruin what, what we're doing. It means, it means we're getting too close. If we were, if, if this wasn't important, then Satan wouldn't be messing mm-hmm. with us like this. And I think as you get older, you realize, no, sometimes bad things just happen. But when you're a kid, you don't necessarily have that experience or that wherewithal. So it's pretty easy to buy into the idea that bad things are part of some cosmic plot to ruin your week at summer mm-hmm. camp. So I'm pretty sure I still believe that there are yeah. like evil forces in the world. What I really can't stand, though, is when Christians attribute all the bad things happening in their life to spiritual warfare or to an attack from Satan. When sometimes I want to say, like, honey, you got a flat tire because you didn't fill up your tire. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a demon. It was just you didn't do the responsible thing. I think there's a way that a narrative of spiritual warfare can kind of Uh let Christians off the hook when Mm -hmm. in fact, it's just like human error. (laughs) But you hear that come up a lot, right? Like you hear like when a, when a Christian leader falls, uh, it's not quite an excuse, but it it blunts a little bit of the responsibility for somebody who does something bad at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, because then it's, it's our responsibility Mm -hmm. then to try to, to like pray the devil's, and, I, and I'm kind of with you, Caitlin, that 
I do believe in forces of good and evil, but I don't know that finding a new theological framework to believe in that without using it as an excuse for when things don't go my way takes a lot of time and energy to figure that out. Mm -hmm. It also, you know, thinking about the Tammy Faye movie, but also, you know, have seen this used so many times. It's also then so often it gets channeled into attributing Satan's yeah. work through other people. So you end up saying, you know, Satan is after us mm -hmm. through the media and, mm -hmm. you know, Satan is attacking us. This is why the media is so angry at us. This is why, you know, the people are trying to question our finances and take us down, you know I mean? And so, and that I think is, where it really gets dangerous is when it becomes channeled or it becomes a way of demonizing uh -huh. literally mm -hmm. like yeah. someone else. And I think actually mm -hmm. sort of counterintuitively made to bring a little bit full circle here. I think that's something that a lot of the horror genre, like the grown up horror genre is a really good corrective on because a lot of those movies, the best versions of them mm -hmm. can be very good at depicting a very real spiritual world that takes spirituality very seriously um but it's almost a trope like you know like well the real monsters were the people all the time like the real bad guy was always the human which is which can sound a little bit like cliche but that's a really uh very healthy and responsible way to think about this sort of spiritual reality as being a both and like yes there are spiritual forces at work in the world but ultimately what often happens is we we are the uh we are the instruments of our own like worst fears demises oftentimes catastrophe in our lives mm -hmm. and the spiritual forces are just there as a mm -hmm. a sort of a um context additional context around all of that well tyler thank you for indulging our nostalgia of <laughs> nostalgia childhood horrors <laughs> does nostalgia imply like a fond doesn't it kind of imply fond memories they're, they're complicated <laughs> there's an endearing quality to them when i think of tiny roxy <laughs> and her like praying desperately by her bedside to make sure there wasn't a demon in the room you know i feel uh -huh. for her i feel for her too well thank you so much for joining us today for our uh spooky episode <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> i'm always down for a spooktacular hangout thanks tyler thanks. all right goodbye okay <laughs> goodbye. i didn't get that one right <laughs> all right thanks so much tyler <laughs> Would you rather have your brains eaten out by zombies or be left behind at the rapture? Oh my gosh. Um, I think I'd rather have my brains eaten by zombies because I know I'm going to heaven. Fair point. I know where I'm going. Do you? <laughs> we'll be back next week. I hope you'll all be ready. I wish we'd all Gosh, that song ready. is so... It's so catchy. And he sings it like he's so sad. There's no time to change your mind. Been.
there's no time to change your mind. How could you have been so blind? The father spoke, the demons dined. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Just waiting for my demon feast. Yeah, no. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> Save by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham. Chaz Russo. No, no. no. (laughs) Chaz Russo put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. A sexy Julia Child. <laughs>